All right, first, uh, first subject we're gonna get into was the Ahmad Arbery case. For those of you that don't know about the case of Ahmad Arbery, he was a black man that was running and jogging through a uh, white neighborhood in Georgia, stopped off to see a house that was under construction, was chased away by two guys who chased him in trucks with guns, and a fight ensued and he was ultimately killed and murdered on the street. There was nobody arrested for about two months after that until the video became uh, av available. And then all of a sudden, all hell broke loose. So the question to the panel, was this murder a, was racism involved? Let's go with uh, Eduardo, wanna take that first? Yeah, so I've been hearing arguments that say that um, maybe, it, I personally believe it was racist, but some people are saying that it was just murder and killing a white person would have been the same thing, like it's just murder. But what I do think without a doubt was racist was the fact how the Georgia justice, Georgia justice system handled everything. Because if it wasn't for this video, those guys would have been out free. That's the only reason they were arrested. So my concern is the Georgia justice system, the prosecutor that said there was insufficient evidence to arrest this, these two men that clearly you know, killed this man, like cold-blooded murder. And they waited two and a half months until the video came out. So it just shows how system, systematically racist the Georgia justice system is. And it just sucks because, I mean, how many times has this happened, but there's not a video of it. So all these racists, you know, that uh, get away with uh, what they're calling it a modern-day lynching, you know, they get away with this stuff. And... Um, that's what I think is really, really frustrating is that it took a video for, you know, them to actually arrest these guys. So, I mean, th that's definitely, that definitely shows systematic racism for sure. Jean, do you think this was a uh, uh, murder and was it racist just on the justice system or was this the people who actually did it considered racist as well? You know, I did a lot of research on this case and there are a lot of factors that aren't necessarily being mentioned a lot, which is he had been to that location the construction site several times uh there was a previous call 911 call because the the owner actually found him on the property and thought he had a gun on him because he reached anyway so there was a history there um of him breaking in there had been a history of break-ins and trespassers at that property so they they did have proper motivation for following him um they actually did follow him for about four minutes there's another video apparently that i haven't seen or released where they followed him for a while they tried to stop him once he kept running you know he's jogging that's fine because at first i thought he was just a jogger but that's not the case so then when they caught him caught up to him that second time um if you watch the video with sound because none of the media places i saw played it with sound i had to search it out if you watch it with sound when he comes around the side of the truck he goes toward the guy with the gun uh, mcmichael before the shot so it's only, they only fired once he started rushing at him. And to me, that makes a huge difference. So he showed the aggression because at first I thought if someone was following me with the shotgun, maybe I would try to, to go after them too. But if I had just committed a crime, it's different. Also, the person in the back of the truck was a, a former law enforcement person who had arrested Arbery in the past. So he knew who he was. Arbery has a pass. He had a gun on him that he had brought to a high school. So he knew about that potential for violence. 
So again, there's there's cause, there's what and there are other factors. John, what source are you citing where the McMichaels who killed him have actually arrested him before in the past? That's A. And then um, uh, answer that one, then I'll answer the other question you had mentioned. That actually has been widely reported. So that's on CNN, Fox, wherever. If you look that one up, you'll find that one pretty quickly. I haven't seen that. And then you said that the owner had pulled a gun on before for going in there? No, I no. The, the owner went to the construction site, saw Arbery. Arbery reached into his waistband. So the owner thought he had a gun. They both kind of ran their separate ways. And then the owner called 911 to report it. So there wasn't necessarily a gun. He just said he thought he might have a gun. He was warning the officers in case they found him that he might be armed. That's kind of unrelated, but Arbery had been to that location at least three times. Um, Coy, your thoughts? Well, I'm a big fan of letting the justice system run its course, due process. Um, we're way too early in this to make a final judgment. I do believe there was some bias uh, based on the fact that one, they were white and he was black, but also there was a bias because of previous history with that individual. That previous history, <clears throat> both not just with these guys, but with other law enforcement, I think they tagged him as a troublemaker and uh, also had a bias there. I also agree that it's probably unjustified shooting um, and will probably come down. My best guess is it's going to come out as a manslaughter rather than a murder um, based on the fact that he grabbed the gun, he, he went forward at the person. Um, they're they're going to argue that they were they were in fear for their life, and so that's why they fired the shot. But I, I do think it was unjustified, and there was a better way to handle it. And and calling the cops rather than following down the road is certainly the better the better option. Once he arrived at the truck, you don't see everything that happened on the back side of the truck, so it's hard to say. Um, but it's going to come out in court. I believe that there was some history there, and uh, there was there was a belief that he might've been armed. And so anytime a police officer rolls up on somebody that, that they suspect is armed, they're gonna treat them a lot differently than if they're not. So there's a lot of information there. Like I said, I think it's gonna come out as a manslaughter. Um, I don't know, uh, my opinion is the, the local police, uh, because of their relationship with the one uh, detective, um, probably gave him the soft side and didn't arrest him. Uh, which I think that happens more frequently than I would prefer. Mm -hmm. um, but certainly, I think it should have had more investigation prior to making a decision of whether to charge or not to charge. Nicoletti, you want to get on that? Yeah, um, one of the things that um, I definitely disagree with is definitely going to be that he was, you know, he was jogging and the the two, two gentlemen, Gregory and, um, are you guys there? Can you hear me? I can hear you. I can't see you. Yeah, my phone fell here. So the two gentlemen, the, the father and the son, you said they had arrested him before, but what is the chances that you're going to recognize this gentleman who you have not seen that tape yet, um, and he's jogging um, out of the blue, I don't think you're going to recognize him as, as uh, being a prior arrest, to be honest with you. He's changed his look, actually, in the last couple of years. He didn't look the exact same. Um, he jogs all the time, so it wasn't like he just goes to this site uh, to break in. And what are you actually breaking into? You're breaking into uh, a site that's under construction, 
um, and there's not a lot there to, um, to take in, in any regard. If you're going to be jogging, what are you going to put into your pants to begin with? So I think it was totally unjustified. I think it really goes to a deeper problem. Um, Georgia is one of the former uh, Jim Crow law states. Um, and we find that there's uh, a much higher percentage of hate crimes that have gone on in these type of states. Since 2018, or actually in 2018, we had the highest hate crime incidents in the last 16 years, reported by the FBI. Um, these hate crimes tend to happen a lot more in these former Jim Crow states. Um, and the other thing that um, I have an issue with is, just like you said, uh, the first gentleman had said that the, uh, the Justice uh, Department here, the Brunswick DA advised to make no arrests the judge, George Barnhill, advised to make no arrests. And Greg McMichael was a former police uh, officer himself, and he was an investigator for the ju judicial division in the court from 1995 to 2019. So I think there's a lot of uh, bias on that regard. And I think it really just gets to the, the, the evil, uh, the root evil of what's going on in our country, um, where we're not having a leader step up and condemn these racist acts. I mean, you can look back at Charlottesville, uh, when they were chanting, Jews will not replace us, and we have a president who stands up and says uh, there were good people on both sides, where this should be a, a period where you would, you know, um, have, uh, you know, you'd condemn this type of, of action and you'd want to set precedents going forward. But I just don't think we've had that type of leadership. And I think this uh, is an unfortunate case of, uh, of racism, um, and I think it has racial profiling all over it, personally. Yeah, I agree with you. Um, John, if you could, I'm, I was just Googling, trying to find the information of where the owner said he had, uh, had a run-in with him before. If you could share that in the chat when you get a chance. The last that I heard about the owner was that um, he had seen him on the property because he's got cameras in there, in that, uh, in that vacant house, and that a lot of people come in through, come in through that house and uh, check it out, and that he didn't give anybody any authority or anything to go after John. He wouldn't want wanted that to happen, that he had no problem with people coming through the house. So I'd be interested to see where you saw that the owner of the property um, said that he had a run-in and thought he pulled a gun on him or so. Um, also, you had mentioned that um, it was okay for them to chase after him when a crime was committed. So the question is, was a crime committed? What was the crime? Um, the, the actual crime there is trespassing, which is not a, an, a, a crime that you can arrest someone for, but they thought it was a burglary. So there had been several burglaries over the previous months, including guns stolen. He didn't actually take anything from the site, but I will tell you, as I used to work in construction, the number one thing that people do is they steal tools. So construction sites like this one, they wisely did not leave their tools out or sometimes they have a lockbox. but that's what people are looking to steal when they go to these sites is tools. Um, one thing, go sorry, uh, one thing um, uh, from what I, from my research that I've done, I heard that there was only one burglary this year and it was a car, a car got stolen. It wasn't even like a trespass thing. So that idea that like, oh, the neighborhood was like, you know, being like, there was a lot of robberies there. That from what I, my research, that's not true. It, there was only one. And there's also video of a white couple entering the, uh, the construction site. And they didn't seem to mind that a white couple went in there, but all of a sudden it's a black man and they chase him down. So. Um, that's just something I wanted to add. Well, then also, who's, if you say it's trespassing, is the crime? Is it a crime against the McMichaels that went after him and shot him? Do they own the property? Who's it trespassing against? 
Um, I, I had seen someone um, post a video about uh, the burglary laws in Georgia, meaning that uh, if anyone who even enters the, uh, a building, a vacant building with the intent to burglarize is a crime. But then you have to argue intent. How can you prove that he intended to actually rob or steal or not just want to come and check out a lot like as the owner said a lot of people come through to see houses that are being built and seeing you know the layout and the plan what was uh what was his intent that would make that a crime anyone go ahead so growing up when i was a kid construction sites were a playground for us and uh that was very very common um but as i grew older those laws changed uh, because of the amount of tools and uh, vandalism and different stuff happened. And so now construction sites are considered uh, trespassing automatically if you're on there and you're not supposed to be there. Um, I agree that trespassing does not justify the end. And I also wanted to add that uh, it came out in the news. I don't know if it's just trying to justify stuff, but they said that their vehicle got broken into and they suspected him of doing that previous and so they, i think they had his, their eye out for him to begin i agree yeah it was a gun that was stolen from his vehicle uh, yeah. i did link in the chat um to where you can see that he had, they had prior history okay. with him i'll check that out um this is this is a, a stand your ground state by the way and i don't know about you i don't care who's chasing me but when i have a car who's i'm on a jog and i'm being followed by a car uh, with two guys who are, you know, who have guns on them, and they they block your your path. Um, I don't know really what you're supposed to do at that time, especially when you see these two gentlemen who uh, I'm not trying to, uh, you know, um, be biased, but they if if I was to think of someone who was um, racial profiling, these guys looked like they would be right up that alley, and these guys have guns. Uh, both of them are, are strapped and they've blocked your path and have been following you for quite some time. Um, I, I don't know what you're supposed to do in that regard. Uh, so to me, um, I don't think this is going to be manslaughter. I think this is going to be felony murder. Yeah. Honestly, I don't think they're going to get any charge at all because like you said, it's to stand your ground and Arbor is the one who came at him. I don't know. Well, uh, Go ahead. I mean, it, I think it was justified for him to, attack somebody who has a shotgun like like you were saying right now um they were chasing him these guys you're in georgia a, a state that's known for races you're black and you're jogging and these guys come with a gun your my natural reaction would be to attack too because i mean i'm not gonna let them shoot me i'm gonna try to fight, defend myself so he was just defending himself so i mean i think it was straight up murder like you know he, a threat, he had no gun and these guys come with guns, of course, you're going to try to defend yourself. Like, that's your instinct to survive, you know. So, uh, definitely, I think they should be charged for murder. And it's been reported by the other ones, the other uh, the other news reports and the other person that was following that film, this that uh, that he tried to get away and they blocked his path. Whatever, whichever way he went, they blocked his path with the cars to get away. So, that put him into the fight or flight mode. Now, as far as grabbing the gun... I can truly say that I wouldn't grab a gun unless it was pointed at me. I don't know if I would grab a gun that's down by a side that is not threatening me with anything like that. But if, if, he, if they say he grabbed at the gun, it's probably because it was pointed in his direction. And that's not self-defense if that happened. That's, and that's why, I think that's why we gotta let it run its course. Um, some of that will come out 
there might be other angles from other doorbell cameras or something else we haven't seen yet. Um, Unfortunately, though, this is a, a justice uh, division that has a long history of not uh, letting uh, justice run its course. And as we saw in the initial um, two weeks, two, was it two months before he actually was arrested? So uh, I wish we could put our hands and our faith into the justice system, but unfortunately, um, in a deep south state uh, that used to have Jim Crow laws, unfortunately, I don't think we're going to be able to do that. I think the Georgia Bureau of Investigation took over the case, though. So the local yeah, well, the FBI did. The FBI did on May seventh. The they did originally, and then the FBI took it over. So hopefully, we'll see. Yeah. All right. Um, changing topics. Shall we move on? We're going to move on to uh, Tara Reid, Joe Biden. So Joe Biden is running for president. Anyone who doesn't know the story, Tara Reid is a staffer that used to work for Joe Biden back in, I believe, the '90s or so and has claimed uh, sexual harassment uh, against him back in the days. And uh, up until a couple months ago, that sexual harassment has been changed to sexual assault. So the question is, um, Tara White, believable? And with the precedent that the precedent, the precedent, ah, with the precedent, I can't even say the word. With, yes, the precedent that has been set by the current administration who also has a bunch of uh, uh, cases, is it a prerequisite to become president of the United States to not have any sexual assault against you? Who wants to take that first? I'll go. Go ahead. All right. Number one, um, I'm not a big fan of all these ancient cases that pop up once people become famous. Um, I think you take, let justice take its course early and not wait until there's some sort of fame or book writing options and, and all that kind of stuff. If it happened, absolutely investigate it and figure it out. Um, I didn't believe uh, Kavanaugh was treated well. I didn't that it's not being treated the same with Biden. Um, I agree that everything should be looked at and investigated and not just brushed off, uh, but it should be do, done in a timely manner when the evidence is fresh and memories are fresh as well. Um, so that being said, um, I didn't believe uh, Christine Blase Ford. I don't believe Tara Reid, um, but they're being handled in completely different manners, and that's what's not in, uh, that I'm not a fan of in the media. Can I, can I interject on that? Um, just real quick point: uh, when you become a Supreme Court uh, justice, uh, they do investigations into your background. Uh, they don't necessarily do a formal investigation when you go become a president. So I think the two different uh, paths that were taken there are completely different. But go ahead, continue with your point. Well, regardless, the, the action happened so long ago with so little evidence in both cases. That's why I believe that, that's why I can't believe either one of them. The, the, the evidence is, is flimsy. Tara has changed her story over the years. She supported Biden at some point, all those kind of things. But now that it's become, um, it's come back to light. Um, regardless of whether she told people, um, all that kind of stuff, telling people and having physical evidence and witnesses and all that stuff is completely different. And same thing with Christine Blase Ford. She couldn't remember the date it happened, where it happened, and there's no corroborating evidence. So I, uh, I agree with you on some stuff. Um, the way that the Democrats are handling this is pretty hilarious because, like you said, with the whole Brett Kavanaugh thing, that was just like unbelievable how they were going after him and 
they have actually less evidence against Brett Kavanaugh than they do against Joe Biden. So the Democrats went through this whole phase where they're like, Me Too movement, believe all women, which I already thought that was a dumb thing to say, believe all women. That's like saying believe all people. People lie. Like, believe, like, are you going to believe the crazy women too? Like the evil women? Like, you know, just, you know, so they made this problem by themselves. So that they went, Joe Biden was with Lady Gaga saying, I believe every single woman that comes out. But now that it's Joe Biden, it's a totally different story. Like they are totally attacking Tara Reid's credibility. And look, I understand some people are saying that she's changed her story, but she really never changed her story. She added to her story, which is very common among rape victims because they don't say the whole story at first. So there is a lot of evidence that she did get um, raped by him. Um, it was supposed, I hate saying it, but evidence, you don't mind me asking. he penetrated her with his fingers. That's what, what she's saying. Now, there's evidence that in 1993, her mother called Larry King live and said, that hasn't um, been proven. But it's she lived in the same she lived in the same spot. She says she, her daughter was working for a prominent senator, and that was during the time that she got fired. And she said that she, um, she didn't go to the public because she respected him. So that shows that maybe she did she didn't want to say the truth because she was scared. She did she she was a rape victim. Now everyone's attacking Tara Reid's credibility, but nobody's attacking Joe Biden's credibility. He has a history of inappropriate behavior with women. He has a history of lying. This is a man that said that he got arrested in South Africa in the 70s trying to see Mandela, which is not true. This is a guy that uh, said in a debate versus Bernie Sanders that he never voted against cutting Social Security when there's videos that he did. So you're talking about, people are talking about Tara Reid's credibility. No one's, no one's asking, what about Joe Biden? There's videos of him acting inappropriately. So like, I mean, I'm, I don't know. I think, I believe in due process. I do believe that, you know, this should be investigated, but it seems like maybe he did do it, especially with his sister and the fact that he doesn't want records from the University of Delaware to come out that show that Tara Reid complained about sexual assault, not about the rape, but she did complain about sexual assault. Why doesn't he want those records out? Why isn't he being transparent about this? Well, listen, so, I, would, I would think that if she would have kept her story as, you know, he's been creepy with me and I felt uncomfortable with you know, the way he hugged me or touched me or something like that, I don't think anybody can debate that with past videos that have uh, been circulating around, you know, um, violating people's personal space. The issue is changing your story from that to sexual assault and rape. And I know there are some people that, you know, forget key elements of their story. They have, you know, locked into their regressed memory. But I don't know. I've been researching this, and she has sought out reporters in the last three years to get her story out. And she's told several prominent reporters of the original story of feeling uncomfortable and that it was more of abuse of power rather than it was sexual harassment. She has been quoted to say to three different people. And it wasn't until Bernie, who she supported, um, left that all of a sudden this last couple of months, it's now sexual assault. I don't know that if you, if you seek out a reporter to tell your story and to get your story out there that you forget that, oh, he sexually assaulted me too. It wasn't like, you know, nobody was asking you, you were just sitting around and one day, um, oh wait, I was sexually assaulted. No, she sought out reporters with the intent of telling her story. So to say that she didn't tell her story when she set out to tell that story now, I, I don't know if I can buy it. Um, did someone raise their hand? Oh, was it Chris? Uh, 
Well, I was just going to say what bothers me more about this is the way that the Democrats and CNN and MSNBC are handling it. Because if this was any other Republican, I'm not a Republican, I'm not a Trump fan, but if this was any other Republican, the Democrats would have like just that would have been their main story. They would have been talking about it all the time. But because it's Joe Biden, you know, that's why people don't trust CNN. People don't trust MSNBC. I don't trust Fox either. They're all opinion news. That's all there is. So like CNN is always going to defend a Democrat. They never criticize their own people. They only criticize Republicans. That's the only thing they're good at. Same thing with Republicans. They only criticize Democrats, but nobody can criticize their own team. That's why I'm not a Democrat. I used to be a Democrat, but I realized that, you know what? Like I don't choose a team. I choose a good presidential candidate. I'm not going to choose somebody because they say they're a Democrat. And that's what's going on with Joe Biden. Everybody just wants to vote for him because they say that he's a Democrat and he's not a good person. I mean, and it's just really hard to see. Not a good person. I've done some, some studying on into this case. Um, she supposedly was raped uh, in 1993, which is 27 years ago. Um, her original complaint uh, to the Senate was just like Delius had said, that he had he made her feel uncomfortable. Uh, there was no sexual allegations at the time. Um, and as time has, has gone on, her story changed. Um, but what really, um, I think, really hits the, the nail on the head is in 2017, you can go to her Twitter feed. She's changed her name about as many times as she's changed her story, which is multiple times. Uh, under the name of Tara McCabe, you can go right now and look at her Twitter feed, and she is liking tweets um, with Lady Gaga and Biden who are, says, it says, proud to work with you and end sexual assault. And Margaret Cho um, tweeted it and said she was crying. Oh, Biden, what, you're making me cry today. And she's going to go out and like that tweet. She's going to like another tweet from him uh, on, eight, on 420 of all days uh, in, in 2017. She likes the Huffington Post tweet on Biden that says, um, Joe Biden reminds men just how important they are in the fight against sexual assault. She liked that tweet. And then in uh, uh, March 12th, she had her own tweet and she stated, my old boss speaks the truth. Listen, on some other tweet that he had come out with um, in some type of cancer fight. So, I mean, I don't see how if you were sexually assaulted, you're going to come back and like tweets from a guy who is talking about ending sexual assault. and You're going to like that tweet. Um, but on top of that, Every, she said that she had um, re, she had reported this to the top three aides that worked with Biden. All three of them come out and said they hadn't heard anything about it. They went and, and interviewed 74 of his, his uh, staffers who had worked with him. Every one of them had uh, completely uh, denied any allegations that she had. And so to me, um, she's a big Bernie supporter um, as well as a Warren. She wanted the Bernie Warren ticket. And on May, uh, it was, was it March 25th when he was about to concede is when we hear this change of story uh, that she had definitely changed. And you can go look at the Senate records. There's no record in, in the Senate account uh, that will corroborate um, her, her story. So to me, it, this is just uh, timing six months before the election. Um, and it, to me, it's, it's uh, you know, the, the more, they also say this, they say those who commit sexual assault usually do it multiple times. Um, and they're accused more than once. And I think we have one person who really uh, might uh, be the, you know, the, the, the poster boy for those type of allegations. And he's sitting in the White House now, and he's also 
um, told you know reporters that he likes to grab women by their genitalia. So uh, if there's anyone who would be guilty, I think there's there's one person who stands out. Sorry for interrupting, but uh, what I was going to say was that um, Biden has been accused by like eight women, so it's not just one woman. There's not like eight of, of making them feel uncomfortable by touching their shoulder. Sexual eight women though have come out, and then there's also videos of him touching girls inappropriately, and they are really hard to watch. So, and I don't get me wrong, don't get me wrong. You're right, Trump has way more, um, but I mean, is that really what we we got to choose? Like, which is the the least like rapey vibe one? I mean, that's just because I mean, even if he didn't, let's just say that Tara Reid didn't get raped, and she's adding lies. Even if that wasn't true, it's still his behavior is weird. And um, he actually used to swim naked in front of service of female um, secret service agents. And they said how uncomfortable they were around him. So even if Tara Reid is lying, all the other history, it shows that he's kind of a creep. and Yeah, has kind of a weird rapey vibe. John, you want to get in on that? Yeah, I was just going to say, this is one of those he said, he said, she said things that no one's ever going to know the truth. There's no evidence. There never will be. So it's just whose opinion, all right, who are you going to trust? And like Eduardo said, it's, it's not going to change anybody's opinion of Biden versus Trump. They're going to take the lesser of two evils, whichever party they were already with. There's not really going to be any effect of this until somebody actually comes out with some sort of physical proof of rape of some other woman. You know, it's not going to make any difference. Yeah, I agree. I agree. And it's, it, I think a lot of the um, Bernie supporters are, kind of hoping that this is the nail that gets him to step down and clears the way for Bernie Sanders to become the Democratic nominee. And I, I just don't think that's going to happen. I don't think the Democratic National Committee will let that happen. Yeah, they won't let that happen. I, I kind of wish that could happen, but I realistically, I know there is no chance they're going to let Bernie win take it. <laughs> they will not allow that. So question, is sexual harassment uh, uh, something that should be considered? now to ascend to the White House, or has that been pushed aside now that we have somebody in the White House? I think it would be a lot more relevant if it was reported when it happened and there was evidence when it happened, but all these people coming forward once they become a candidate, it just doesn't work for me. Agreed. <clears throat> I will say though that the, the whole Me Too movement did push these things to the forefront. So that's why a lot of these things just came out in the last few years. You know, a lot of these things, you know, especially even like Cosby, those go back decades, but it's been, you know, a pattern. I'm unaware of any pattern with Biden, but, you know, Edwater says there are other accusers. I'd like to see more of them step forward then and see what proof they have. They have other paper trails or whatever, you know, something else to, to prove these claims because I haven't heard anything. I think the people, and I could be wrong, but I think people who are leading the march on making sure Tara is heard, well, who started the march were Bernie supporters, you know, the ones that will never vote for anybody but Bernie, if he's not the, uh, um, the nominee. So that brings a question, Bernie as the Democratic nominee, what, whose fault was it that Bernie was not the, the, the eventual nominee? Is it a conspiracy of the DNC not wanting to sit there, or is it something deeper? Who wants to take that? I'll take it. Uh, it's a combination of things. Uh, I don't think it's a secret that the DNC doesn't want Bernie to win. I mean, it's pretty obvious. That's why in 2016, Debbie Wasserman Short had to resign because 
they got caught cheating. They were supporting Hillary Clinton over Bernie Sanders, which they weren't supposed to do. They were supposed to be neutral. Fast forward to 2020, Bernie was killing it. I mean, he won the first four states. He, it looked like he was going to win. Um, and then obviously CNN did their part to attack Bernie constantly but what really did it it's two things that i think really like stopped uh prevented him from winning one it was obviously when obama called um all the democrats before super tuesday and said hey drop out because bernie's gonna win if you don't drop out he's gonna win and it was pretty clear so now that definitely helped um biden but what really i think was the nail on the coffin was elizabeth warren she was splitting so she was splitting up the progressive vote and starting to say stuff like Bernie Sanders says that a woman can't be president, really, like trying to call him a sexist so that she could split up, so she could get some of her, his votes to her. She was splitting up the progressives. And the funny thing is in 2016, Bernie Sanders told her to run for president. Why would he tell her to run for president if he didn't think she was gonna win? And if he did say that a woman couldn't be president, it wasn't because he's sexist. He's saying maybe because of the political climate that we're in, maybe it would be harder to beat Trump if you're a woman. But he's definitely not a sexist. So she was just trying to like, and the, and the funny thing is CNN made a big story about this. He said, she said, nobody had any evidence. They're just making a big story out of this, out of nothing. Now, she had a chance though, before Super Tuesday, she knew that now that, um, you know, Buttigieg and all the establishment Democrats were out, she had a chance to say, you know what? Bernie is the progressive that could win. So she should have dropped out and endorsed him before Super Tuesday. She didn't do that. You look at the votings. If those, if Elizabeth Warren would have dropped out and told people vote for Bernie, they would have, a lot of them would have voted for him and he would have won. And he would have won most of the states on Super Tuesday. But she didn't. And then after she dropped out, she still didn't endorse the candidate that has almost like identical platform. Like, what is this so that that and that hurt for me because i was a warren fan before i was a bernie fan there were always red flags about her that i was like i don't know she's untrustworthy but this was the last the last straw like she showed her true colors and she didn't help out bernie when she could have she she's not a real progress she's a fake progressive so i really think it's a combination of things but that was one of one of the reasons that uh that that he lost uh, also bernie made some mistakes he shouldn't have mentioned Fidel Castro. That was dumb, you know? So, I mean, he did make some mistakes, don't get me wrong, but I think that mostly it was the DNC. Because Obama, the funny thing is Obama said the same thing about Fidel Castro. Nobody said anything about Obama saying it. Bernie says it, and it's a big deal. So, I mean, the media, Elizabeth Warren, Obama, establishment Democrats, everybody was against him. It's actually surprising he did this well. Uh, so that's my take on, on, on why he lost. And uh, and also one more thing, another thing that I don't like is that how every single time there's a candidate like Bernie Sanders or Tulsi Gabbard, which actually was my first choice, Tulsi Gabbard, I think she's an excellent presidential candidate. Every single time there's a Democrat or a Republican calling out the Democrats under corruption, they always go to Russian asset. That's what they said about Bernie. That's what they said about Tulsi. And that's what they say about Trump when it's all really just BS trying to like, you know, manipulate people into not voting for the Russian favorite or whatever. So, uh, yeah, that that's my take on the whole Bernie um, losing. I don't know if I can agree with everything that you're saying there. I, I agree with the point that the, the DNC definitely didn't want Bernie to be the nominee because he's technically not really a Democrat. Um, I mean, is, is that a wrong idea that someone changed to become a Democrat to become a Democratic nominee? I don't know. 
But I think, and I've, I've had this conversation with you before in the past, that the main reason to me that, that uh, Bernie didn't get to where he was at is his base. His base he relied on is the youth. The youth market, he's pumped up the youth, the youth to pump them up. And it shows over and over. When it comes to the polls, the youth do not show up to vote. I think they were down to like 18 and below percent of the voters that come up there, which is a, which is a sad thing because the youth are going to be the ones that in, inherit everything. But they, they, it, it feels to me almost like the youth like to talk a big game on social media and everything, but they're never ones to show out in the numbers at the, at the polls. And that's when they need them the most, in the primary, yeah, show up at the polls. I agree with you. That's definitely one factor. But let's also consider that people, it wasn't just the youth. It was people under 50 years old, I think, or 45. People under 45, most people supported Bernie Sanders. Um, and most Democrats supported his ideology, like his ideology, universal health care, all that stuff. Um, but a lot of the reason, a lot of the, one of the reasons why people decided to vote for Biden is because CNN and MSNBC convinced everybody that somehow Biden is more electable than Bernie and that Bernie doesn't have a chance to beat Trump. Um, that like a, calling him a communist. I think, they convinced them. I, th I think if you look at uh, statistics, there's no way in, in hell that uh, Bernie Sanders is going to win over purple voters in these Midwest states. So I Actually, think there is, there is, because a lot of those, a lot of those people um, are, are angry at a TPP. Like a lot of the people that voted for Trump don't necessarily, aren't necessarily like Trump fans, but they were offering him something. Stop sending jobs to China and bring more jobs here. That's something Bernie Sanders, that's why Bernie Sanders, all the states that Bernie Sanders won against Hillary Clinton are the same states that Trump beat against Hillary Clinton. Yeah, but I think you're missing the big point here. The first four states were pretty inconsequential. They're not really big states. I think Iowa, New Hampshire, Nevada. Bernie's. Where, where it really started taking a turn and with the biggest propellant for um, Biden was the African-American vote, South Carolina, once they put their weight behind their candidate, um, I think you could, uh, it, it was all over at that point. Once, once they voted, uh, the momentum from that point on was, was over. It was the same thing that propelled, um, in 2016, that propelled Hillary Clinton uh, was getting the African-American voters where, uh, for some reason, Bernie Sanders wasn't able to, uh, you know, to mesh with them. Um, his huge voter, uh, youth voter turnout fizzled. Um, and, you know, he had some great qualities. He was a fiery speaker. He had a great movement. Um, he, you know, he's energized uh, the millennials. He had attractive policies. But at the end of the day, as much as you might not believe it, I don't think that you're going to get a Republican who's sitting on the fence to vote for some of his policies who they were saying were, were socialist. And I think that was another huge uh, problem with him was the socialist label uh, that was put onto him. I can tell you right now that I have a lot of Republicans in my family. That was the biggest thing that was, they were against was a socialist label. So I think the biggest problems for him was, you know, the, the black vote. And I think that uh, being labeled a socialist and not being able to win those, those purple voters. You know, the other problem was, Nicoletti, the other problem was his uh, Medicare for all. Now, I actually happen to agree with Medicare for all. My dad's on Medicare and it's working out great for him and everything. But instead of doing the Medicare for all who want it, he said, no, we're going to get rid of all private insurance and everyone's on Medicare for all. It's something what he should have done was just wrote, say, Medicare for all who want it. Most likely people are going to want it and they're going to 
go to Medicare for all and put out the private insurance, you know, really? but the, the right. thing cutting everybody out, it scared people. Exactly. That's what it scared people. And I could see why people would be scared. Like, I mean, I don't have, I'm trying, I don't have health insurance, but if I, you know, did and I was paying for it, I wouldn't want it to go away. So I, I, I do see why some people, that was a scary thing. I think you're right. He should have done Medicare for all. With a choice. With a choice. Yeah. Yeah. Ultimately, Bernie was so far to the left that you're not going to get the middle of the ground voters and the Democrat National Committee identified it. The media jumped on it and convinced a lot of people to go the other way. Uh, the National Committee made efforts to get those people to drop out prior to Super Tuesday so they didn't split votes and leave Bernie in the, the race longer. I think it was evident that they, they realized that Bernie was not going to beat, didn't have as good of a chance to beat Trump as any, but as Biden perhaps did because he was more middle states, middle of the ground, not so far left and could sway some of those uh, middle voters, independent voters. And ultimately that's, that's the number one reason. You talked about the, the young votes. Yes, Bernie went after the young votes primarily because uh, offering them free college tuition, free medical care, free everything, and they're not necessarily wise enough to understand the long-term impacts of that. And so, but ultimately it's the people who are, have, have grown up, worked for a living and earned their way forward that looked at it and said, I'm not voting for somebody that's gonna take away my retirement or, or tax me higher or any of that kind of stuff. And so ultimately, his, his whole program was so far to the left that he didn't have any chance at garnering all the independent voters. I don't care who the candidate is, they, if they get all the Democrat votes, they're not gonna win unless they get the independent. The, the person who wins the presidency is the ones who gets the most independent votes to go their way. That is true. Um, and that's why I believe that Bernie has a bigger chance because independents like me will vote for Bernie, will not vote for Biden or Trump. So- But you uh, also have to wonder if, by if, if Bernie's uh, success from 2016 was because people really wanted him or because they just didn't want Hillary, because it showed in this election that he wasn't really building upon the numbers that he had in the, in the first election, uh, first primary, and then he actually was losing numbers in some states. I think it was like Michigan, where he had won the majority of Michigan. Yeah. Going up against Biden, he pretty much lost every state. So that, that makes you question. Was it that they wanted him or just didn't want Hillary? Well, yeah, the difference in media um, was another huge catalyst in uh, Hillary's fall. There's some stats that have come out on the unfavorability. Um, and her and Trump were huge. They're unfavorable with many voters. Uh, Biden has a much more favorable uh, voting uh, view. And I think uh, the locker up. I think, uh, I think right now I just saw that 50% of all the uh, tweets that are coming out on Twitter right now are coming out from bots. And we do have, uh, our US intelligence agencies have said that there's a huge influx um, into our social media sphere with these other countries who are trying to mix us up and trying to separate us. And I think one of the biggest issues right now is we need to come closer to the middle of the country rather than being outlying in the alt-right, rather than being far left. We need to be somewhere in the middle for us to heal as a country. Amen. Yeah, I, I think one of the big problems we have is that we have a two-party system. So my wife's Filipina, and there they have like five different parties, and they all make it to the end, and they have you know 
relatively equal numbers. Whereas here we have two parties and then the Libertarian Party, which is tiny. Um, Bernie's not a Democrat. He doesn't belong there. He should know that by now. He needs, like him and Warren, really, they need a separate party. Um, there, you know, I love Tulsi Gabbard. I hope she runs in the next election. I hope she gets support. She's a Democrat. She kind of crosses over a little bit. You know, she's more centrist. But we really need at least three solid parties, preferably four or five, so that there are more chances to, like, you don't have to pick the lesser of two evils. You can really pick somebody who represents you and your beliefs. Because, you know, I don't want to vote Republican. I don't want to vote Democrat. I don't like anybody. It's just no, sad. I agree. I wish there could be a third party. What do you think it will take to bring about a legitimate third party that can uh, make a run for the presidency? It would have to be an extreme personality. You know, like if Trump had run third party, I don't think he would have won, but he could have maybe pushed a third party into the forefront. I don't know what that party would have been. Um, but yeah, it's going to take somebody, you know, with a really strong personality and that, like extreme value, something that nobody can really find a fault in. Um, they might not agree with their policies, but they're not like, they're not a rapist. They're not a liar, you know, and, it, and in politics, that's just so hard to find. And that's why we can't find anybody. I think, who was it? Ross Perot was the closest we've come. Uh, and that's just because he threw a ton of money at it. Um, but that didn't work out for Bloomberg. Money's not really the answer. It's a part of it for sure. But you have to get the media on your side. And that's just yeah, nearly impossible. He's to come from somebody like Trump that not necessarily Trump with his ideals, but he, his, his policies have been solid. His personality is what kicks his ass. And, but it needs to be somebody who doesn't have a history in Congress like Elizabeth Warren, Bernie Sanders, Joe Biden, because all the policies that they vote on over time, it doesn't help them when it comes to the presidential election. It has to be somebody, and, and I honestly th think that's a lot of the reason Obama was rose to uh, stardom because he didn't have a lot of those histories and, and they couldn't go back and look at his record. So whoever it is that's gonna start a third party has to come from kind of out of nowhere that has the charisma, the background and and good policy ideas to build a third party and right now we're not seeing that elon so, musk maybe hopefully <laughs> um <laughs> let's move on to uh elon musk he's Man. got the money and the personality i can't pronounce his child's name so he can't be president yeah yeah that's crazy <laughs> i don't know if he can what was that coin i don't know if he can pronounce it <laughs> Um, let's talk about the, the current administration, uh, number 45, as I like to call him. What's wrong with him, y'all? What is wrong with him? Why is it like, I feel like every, every day for the last three or four years, there's been a new breaking news story on him every day. So he outtops himself, so he doesn't need to outtop himself with the lies and with the divisiveness and with the everything. It's just like, it's so much like seriously my, my tv screen is burnt in at the bottom with the news logos between the cnn's and the and the msnbc's it's like you can turn it off and still see it there i've actually stopped watching the news which is says some a lot about me but trump what's wrong with him anybody insecurity he is a type a personality he doesn't like to be attacked and he attacks back he needs a filter 
and he needs a good public affairs person. I don't Somebody even know who you are, boy. I don't even know who you What's are. That? I said, I don't even know who you are. You were, you're going really light. Well, you've had some arguments all life. <laughs> no, I, I think he's a demigod. He thinks he's better than anybody else. And he wasn't raising the government. And he does things a little differently. And people in the media have attacked him incessantly. Um, but I'm telling you, I like his policies. The, the economy was running strong. We've got trade deals. He pushed back against China. He's pushed back against Iran. He's pushed back against North Korea. We're not in any wars. We haven't started any new wars. He's actually reduced our overseas deployments. Um, and the economy was roaring. I'm not sure what else you can ask for from a, from a president, myself, other than he can't keep his mouth shut. Nicoletti, what else can you ask for from a president other than he can't keep his mouth shut? I think that, first of all, if you go back to 2009 is really, when really the economy started to take off. And I think uh, some of his policies, to me, um, in, in, as regards to trade, have not been good for farmers. Um, he's been threatening other countries. I think right now that our relations with NATO countries and our allies is at the lowest point that I can remember in my lifetime. Um, as a matter of fact, we're not even on the global committee for COVID right now. So as the world comes up with with vaccines and, and is trying to um, you know, help stop hotspots around the world. We're not even, we don't even have a, a seat at the table there. And I think that this is, is kind of his MO. Um, he pulled us out of the Paris uh, Climate Agreement. Uh, we're the only country in the world, it was outside of like, like two countries, I think it was Palestine and some other country that weren't in it as well. Um, not only that, he's threatening to pull us out of NATO. So I think that uh, the divisiveness is, right now record levels i think you can go back almost to the civil war we haven't been this divided as a country um in a long time at least since i can remember never in my lifetime um and he likes to stoke that and when he gets up in front of people his his mo is to is to trash other people he has no respect he has no empathy i think we see it in his governance um i think we're seeing it in his poll numbers right now he has the worst polling for covid um, if you include all the governors, he is 49th with just the governor of, of, of Georgia being, being below him. Um, I think he's done some decent things with the economy, um, but I think everything was set up for him. It wasn't like he came in when Obama came in and we were at one of the worst recessions uh, since 1920. He came into an economy that was already working. Unemployment numbers had been steadily going down since 2009. Stock market had steadily been, steadily been going up from that same time. Um, I think there was a lot of things in place already at that point. Um, I think his tax cut uh, just was a, a, sugar, a sugar rush for the economy, um, allowed these corporations to take more money, um, you know, and, and maybe put it into the economy and it basically gave us a sugar high. So I, I'm not exactly sure that all of his policies have worked out. A lot, of, a lot of the things that I had been studying is before coronavirus, we weren't going down the best trail. There was a lot of uh, warning signs. Uh, so, you know, I wouldn't give him um, that, that type of credit personally. And then what he's doing with our relations as a country and with our relations with internationally is just, to me, is deplorable, to be honest. Okay, let me, let me disagree with you on a couple of things. Number one, the whole NATO thing that you brought up, it needed to happen. It needed to happen to push back because we were being taken advantage of by NATO. The primary purpose of NATO is to protect the European nations against Europe and they were not spending their adequate amount of money to support it. The United States was fully supporting NATO 
and it was it had to you had to do something to get them off their butts and start pulling more of their share and including the UN and the World Health Organization all those kind of things some something had to be had to be done yeah but okay there's, there's, a way, um, there's a way to handle the diplomacy and there's a way not to handle diplomacy and as a result he's rubbed us such in a bad position that most of these countries don't even want to come to the table and deal with him. He it just I think he, I disagree with you because they're going to say that publicly but behind the closed doors they know that they need to have the support of the United States and they also recognized early very early once he brought it up that they weren't pulling their share and the amount of spending has come up. Um, now the relationship is a little bit strained, but anytime you push back on somebody, you're going to strain those relationships. Okay. Yeah. I agree with you on that. However, for the long-term success of NATO, it had to do that because otherwise when the United States pulls back, then NATO is going to falter. And NATO is as strong as any time in history right now because they have the funding and they have this the additional military Wait, strength coming forward. You're, so you're telling me these other countries have already increased their funding? I, I don't yes. see I don't see any record of that. Okay, go look at it. Go look at the NATO funding, NATO spending and, and funding by country. You can Google it, you can find it, it's out there. Yeah, so it is coming up. They have agreed to come up. It's a percentage of their gross domestic product. And the, the percentage of gross domestic product is coming up by those countries. Now, I can't say lately since I haven't checked it with all this COVID stuff going on. But prior to, I did check that. John, you got something to say? Yeah, was, that's the reason they're upset is because we're taking something away from them. We're, you know, they were, you know, taking our lunch money for a long time. And now we're, we're like, hey, you got to pay your own share. And so, of course, they're upset. Could you've done it a more dip diplomatic way? I don't know. Nobody else did, though. So he got it done. Um, you know, it's the same thing like with the Paris Accord. It was a terrible agreement. Nobody was adhering to it. The United States is actually exceeding what we were supposed to do under the Paris Agreement. We're doing better than we were supposed to. I don't know if I believe that. This is, it it, no it's true. It's out there. This whole administration has been all about not believing in global warming and the science. But uh, what have they done to negatively? Look what they've done with the EPA. They've, they re, they reduced funding for all these programs. They've energy, they've put people in charge of the programs who were lobbyists against the EPA. So I, how how they're they're helping in that regard is mind-boggling that you would say that. What you can say that, and I hate the EPA. All those excessive regulations. I'm glad he's gotten ton of so many regulations. It's made everything better. But if you look at the actual results, our emissions are down. We're exceeding the Paris Climate Agreement. We're our doing better than anybody. It's China and India who are destroying the environment right now, almost single-handedly. In addition, when you start talking about the economy, the number one thing he did to spur the economy is to reduce the regulatory requirements, the red tape to get anything accomplished. And then you also talked about Obama bringing the economy up. It was headed in the right direction. I'm not going to dispute that. However, it's really easy to get unemployment to drop from 9% to 5%. It's really difficult to get it to drop to 3%. That is amazing feat that nobody can do in the last 50 years it's and you look at the, the the benefit to the minority classes the unemployment and i'm telling you i'm not a democrat and i'm not a republican i claim to be independent but i'm an economist okay and i see over history the more money you give people from government in terms of social welfare 
All it's doing is ensuring that that's all you're ever going to be is on social welfare. You've got to get people off of unemployment. You've got to get people off of social welfare in order to increase their quality of life and bring their economic status up into a betterment that we did. First we all, have decimated Native Americans. We can do a lot more than that to get them out. First of all, a lot of the jobs that were created were lower level jobs for, for minorities. And there's a lot better than unemployment. There's a lot more you need to do in these minority neighborhoods to get them on equal footing and give them the opportunity to actually go out and earn those type of incomes. So when you have somebody who has a bunch of kids um, and unfortunately can't work, and then you're pulling welfare benefits from them, you're putting them in a worse position. So I, don't, I, I definitely don't agree with that. And I don't think it's fair um, right now on fair footing for tons of minorities in inner cities. So I, to me, that, that, that analogy does not does not hold water. Given the best chance of success by getting them into the workforce and off of welfare. I'm telling you that you look at what we've done to the Native Americans across the nation. We have decimated their will to work and their incentive to exceed standards and, and be something great because they have lost their incentive. And you you have to, and whether you like the incentive or not by cutting welfare and pushing them back in the workforce, it long term, that is the best thing in the world for some of you do. I can't I worked in Kosovo for a year and you see the amount of people who aren't working there, but they are going to all the different charities and all that kind of stuff. They're doing the same things to them that we're doing in the United States that we've done for ages. What we have done from all these subsidies has not has not really helped. It's been we keep giving them more and more money and it's not brought their status up long term. Give it do something different, try something different. And I think that's why Trump got elected. It was because the status quo, do things the same way as everybody else is doing, the way we dealt with China, the way we dealt with North Korea, the way we dealt with the, the welfare and unemployment and all those other things. We brought something different, and that's why they elected him. Now, like it or not, some of it has helped, some of it has hurt. I, I, I don't dispute that. But the best success you can do for somebody is to give them the incentive to work and get, dig themselves out of the hole. If you can't do that, there's not enough money to keep everybody on welfare. So in that case, I'm assuming if you are given the best uh, incentive in the way to get out the hole, you must be for free school for people. Are you for free schooling for people, for training and well, schooling to get them out? I am, I am for Pell Grants, but look at what Pell Grants have done to the cost okay. of tuition. I'm not just free so, right. So when you give free schooling, number one, it takes people that should not go to school and puts them in school because they're being paid to be there. Believe it or not, huh? I made money when I was in college. Well, no, I mean, I get what you're saying because I'm go I just got accepted to Cal State Long Beach and I'm, I'm going to get uh, some loans, some grants. So yeah, I, I'm going to get some money off of it. But honestly, I would rather not get any money at all and just say, you know what? Your books are paid for. You don't have to pay anything and you get a free education. I would rather have that than be given a grant or a loan. So I think... Um, uh, university should be tuition free for sure like because that's an investment I see that as an investment because you're gonna get people that can't afford you know to go to school but you know are smart going to school graduating being productive citizens in our society so I think um, that I don't see it as a handout I see it as we're investing in our country we right. want yes if you don't have if you don't have some investment of yourself into that and you have to work a little bit to get it you're not going to value it the same. And if everybody has a college degree, just like if everybody has a high school diploma, that's not good enough. It's the ones who go above and beyond that that succeed, right? 
So if everybody gets a college degree, and there's a lot of degrees out there only. But everybody will, but you know what I mean? Like not get a college degree. What I'm saying is, look at the way the Rotary Club does things. And I, I followed them because I really like the, their model. When they go into somewhere and they say, hey, look, you don't have any water in your schools or plumbing or anything like that. They talk to the village and say, hey, we'll bring you this. We're going to do the architectural work. We're going to bring our, our initial investment, but you got to do some of the labor because if you don't put forth your, the effort, you're not going to value that. You're not going to take care of it. All that kind of stuff. It's called pride and ownership. You have to have something that you put forward and you had to put your own effort into. So I worked my way through college, but I also had Pell Grants. I had student loans. And, uh, and that's the whole reason I joined the military was to help pay my student loans back. But when you start looking at what does it do, if everybody gets a college degree, that doesn't help anybody. It helps. You're going to be more educated. But if you have so many people with a degree in nursing and there's not enough nursing jobs, it doesn't help you. I just don't think that even if we made college free, that like everybody's gonna gonna go to school because I mean you still have to get accepted. Like if you're if you don't have a good GPA, then you're not gonna get accepted. Schools only have a certain capacity of students that they can accept. That's so, why all these private schools stepped up, and that's why they're gonna get hurt right now because they can't keep going. And when you got all these people going to schools, they stood up all these private schools, the Stevens Henniger College and all these other colleges. And so, and, and that's where it's going to happen. That's what's happened with the Pell Grant. The more money we gave people to go to school, that increased the tuition so that all these private schools that people couldn't get accepted to stood up and they say, hey, we'll give you a, a liberal arts degree and you're going to pay for it. And they get all their federal money that paid for it. So, Coy, if, if I'm not opposed to having assistance. If we're not willing to send people to school to get better educated so they can get better jobs, how do you break the cycle? You're talking about the minorities and getting them off of welfare uh, and providing them with jobs, but you're not willing to educate them so they can get better jobs. How do you break the cycle? I'm not opposed to giving scholarships. I'm not opposed to if they earn them. I'm not opposed to Pell Grants and I'm not opposed to student loans, but student loans has a, a repayment. And that has worked to some degree, um, but I think you have to have a little bit of skin in the fight to make it worthwhile on the back end. So, so these days, there are a lot of there are a ton of programs out there to provide federal assistance to go to school. I'm just not sure if you just say it's completely free and your books are free, everything's golden. That's the right answer. Or public, I think public, you have to have colleges or community colleges in your neighborhood. Uh, I kind of agree where on the lines of Bernie, where it should be, um, tuition should be free for people. Because, I mean, if people, unless you want these people to stay into the same cycle of uh, poverty and working at McDonald's and not be able to move up from there, you have to educate them. And if you're going to educate them, then you have to, you know, be willing to, to get off a little bit. And they, they still have to study. They still have to stay in school and not flunk out of school. So it can't be like, you know, oh, we can't educate everybody because then everybody will graduate. That's not the truth. Everybody won't graduate unless they want it. Their motivation is better. Minorities who don't get high school graduations and can't get into these schools, what do you do with them? How do you help them up? You got to get them in the workforce and get them specialty training and work Great. their way into that. But putting it on welfare doesn't help. So you have to be able to understand when you start talking about you got to be able to get accepted to college, that hurts the minority class more than anybody else. And so because those are the, the class that have lower graduation from high school rates, right? Am I wrong? Um, I have to check the numbers. I wouldn't say that. Dropout rate, 
dropout rates, teen pregnancy, all that kind of stuff. If, if you can fix that, you can get them into college. You can get them to be- One of the reasons, one of the ways you can fix that is by putting money into these school systems. I don't know about you, but I worked in the, in the Los Angeles Unified School District and the uh, facilities in one part of the city are way different from facilities in another part. Uh, so there's always a challenge uh, getting these people, um, you know, to, you know, have the same equal footing um, who are living in these, you know, in neighborhoods that don't have the same money. So you're always fighting against quality of education. But one of the biggest problems I will tell you right now that our nation's facing and that we really need to take a look at is the $1.5 trillion dollar uh, financial aid that is is due, um, and that is going to be our next crisis. So if we don't tackle that and, and start looking into uh, potentially helping some of these people who are paying hundreds of dollars per month, and their their you know their balance never goes down, and the interest continues to go up, we really need to take a look at that, and that's probably going to be one of our next biggest downfalls. One thing I wanted to say about um, Cole, you were talking about minorities. Um, they have less, they graduate less. Um, I don't know if that's true, but uh, if it is, I think one of the reasons that that happens is because a lot of uh, minority communities, public schools are terrible. They're really bad. Like, I mean, I didn't know because, like, I grew up kind of wealthy. You know, I went to private school in Costa Rica. Uh, and then when I came back over here, you know, my parents weren't doing so great with money at the time. And my sister had to go, I think it was Rialto or San Bernardino. It was some ghetto school. And she told me how terrible it was, how she got bullied, how everybody treated her, and how she had to go down two grades because they didn't have, like, she was advanced with, compared to everybody else. So they had to, like, put her down two grades or something because they didn't have the resources to teach her. And eventually, you know, um, we figured out how to get her out of that school and go to uh, Torrance High School, which is a nicer school. But that's one thing you got to take into consideration. A lot of these schools are so bad. They don't have, these kids don't have any role models. There's no social programs for them to help them out. So if you want minorities to graduate more, then why don't you go to the schools where they go and fix the schools, get some real good teachers. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, that's probably one of the reasons I, I think that minorities uh, don't graduate as much as others. But there's additional things other than just fixing the school because the problem is those schools have, are in areas with high crime rates. Those schools are in there with a lot of homelessness. There's schools are, I mean, I was in Tampa Bay and school teachers on last day of school happened to come in the restaurant I was sitting on at and they, I was trying to figure out the demographics. Well, we sat down and talked to them and they were telling me, hey, I got students that, you know, half my class has either seen their father shoot somebody or seen their father shot, you know, and I have so many homeless that they can't do their homework at night because they live in a car. So you got to fix that. You got to build security. You got to build economic prosperity and you got to build stability in order to fix those problems in all those neighborhoods. And, and, and the, the best way to do that is to either separate them out and disperse them to try and build that neighborhood up. Uh, because if there's a cluster of crime, it's hard to, it's hard to crack that. And I don't have all the answers for that, but ultimately you're right. The, the funding and there's, there is, my parents are school teachers. Um, and those students that are economically challenged, uh, tend to do less well in school. And so you gotta, you gotta kind of figure that out, but there's programs out there that pay teachers a lot more to go in those neighborhoods and teach school. Um, and so it's not necessarily the teacher's fault. It's not necessarily, it's the community fault. You got to fix that community and the way to do those community 
re rehabilitations is give them projects and let the community put skin in the game to make it better. But the, the community can't put skin in the game to commit to get their, uh, their communities better because I know there are a lot of areas where people can't get loans to buy houses except only in the ghettos. There are people, there's a lot of African-Americans who make enough money to get loans for houses, but are relegated to only get approved for loans in ghetto areas, you know, that have the crime rates that keep them down. Um, there is a business owner that I was reading about that uh, has a very successful business and went to uh, a regular bank like a Wells Fargo or whatever and was denied for a loan for a business in a minority area, you know, to bring it up. So there has to be some sort of, you know, push and pull here. You can't just say fix the area and then the government or the loan system or the banking is not willing to invest in the area so that they can fix the area. You know, it, it's it's a local, it's a state, it's a federal government issue that they've got to come together and fix, and it's a community involvement as well. Um, I'm not saying it's an easy fix, um, but certainly if you're a bank, you can't loan somebody a property in a high crime district and expect them to be successful if it's a large dollar loan either. And so that that's it's just the system how it is. Um, I'm not they saying they really get out of that area but they yeah. can get loans out of it in a nice area. The only loans that they can get are in. Property values are higher and their income doesn't match that. I, I, I know. Um, it's not that the incomes don't match, some of the incomes match. I was just saying there's a business owner who was very successful and he couldn't even get one. He had to try to go what? to a minority-owned bank to get a loan. Because of race or what? What do you think it was they couldn't I, get a loan? I, I typically think it is. It's been shown before that the banking system way back to the 1920s has also always been. I'm not saying there's no exceptions. There. I, racism is alive and well in the United States. I agree with you. Um, but I don't think it's as prevalent and it's getting better. There are indications that it's getting better. Um, but I think, again, if the community, the, the, the broken window theory, if you go in a neighborhood and you see a bunch of broken windows and graffiti and all that kind of stuff, your property values automatically going to go down. So you got to fix those small things. And like I said, when I was in Kosovo, I'd drive down a street in a really impoverished area and you'd find that one house along that street that had their yards mowed. There wasn't trash around. It looked good. What's the difference in that? Well, that family really cared about it and they put the effort into it. And I'll tell you, if more people would do that, it would help the community. And we got to get away from the selfless attitude, selfish attitude where Everybody takes care of themselves. You got to take care of your, your community and give back. All right. It's, it's, there's, there's something called redlining and it's been around since, since the beginning where uh, certain communities, whether it's insurance, real estate loans, mortgage loans, uh, are frowned upon in certain communities. And I still think that that's, uh, that's prevalent to some degree today, unfortunately. I agree. I agree. Yeah. Um, so we're getting down to the end. We've been on for a little, little more than an hour. So we're going to tackle these last two, maybe one as quickly as possible. Who has a problem with voting by mail? Raise your hand. Go ahead, John. Give us your, your, your reasons why you think voting by mail should be a problem for this year's election. Um, I mean, there is a little bit of fraud. It's, that's not the biggest concern. It's a logistical nightmare. Um, and mostly it's because of the, the vote harvesting. That, that's something that I think was new for this last election where people actually go door to door and they pick the neighborhoods they want to go to. This is mostly a democratic thing from what I've heard. They'll go to the neighborhood where they think the most Democrats are. They'll go door to door and ask people, have you voted yet? They'll help people fill out their vote, um, watching them do that, or they'll just you know, literally do it for them. Um, 
And so that's how they got a ton of seats flipped in Orange County. Is that fraud? It's, it's not necessarily fraud, so. but it is. It's not the spirit. Yeah, it's a kind of an unfair tactic. If they did it everywhere across the board, fine. But they target because they know it's going to sway the election if they target specific areas. And so that's, that to me is, that's like, you know, you can't even talk about politics near a polling area, yet they're going to people's houses and influencing their decisions. And I don't like that. Are they influencing their decisions or giving them, making sure that they vote whatever way they want to vote? I know they absolutely influence their decisions. They even had like, I saw this one person would like to help somebody blind vote. They don't know what they're voting for. They just sign at the bottom. And then, you know, whoever else is filling out the, the voter form. Um, so they do it in el old, like elderly homes, things like that. They'll go there. There's just a lot of manipulation that could happen. I, think uh, I, I don't know what else to do yeah. because the, the whole COVID thing, but if we can find a way to get into Target and buy, you know, nonsense at Target or Rouse or whatever supermarket, we can find a way to vote with six feet between everybody, keep the voting places six feet apart. It's no different. That's not a valid argument. I've seen people put that on before. You know, if Target's still open and Walmart's still open, why can't people get in line and vote? That's not a valid thing because there are a lot of people who are not going to Target or to Walmart to get their stuff because of the social distancing. Go ahead, Nicolette, you were gonna say? Say first of all, I think Orange County. That's a horrible, I think, reference because the the big reason why Orange County seats are flipping is because the demographics are completely changing um, in that area, uh, and it's and I think that is probably going to be the number one reason why you're seeing seats flip there. But first of all, there's no substantiation for anyone flipping votes. As a matter of fact, with voter fraud, um, there has been no there, there has been no reports. Uh, they have uh, done an investigation. As a matter of fact, in 2016. Trump put together a team uh, to go after finding the, uh, the illegal voting that he said was happening with the illegal immigrants. And then before you knew it, crickets were, were everywhere. And by 2018, they disbanded it because there was no substantiation to any of those allegations. Um, so the last time that there was voter fraud was in 2018. And you could look it up. It was uh, North Carolina congressional seat. Uh, it was Republicans that were actually um, charged with, with fraud. So. I, I don't uh, I don't buy that. I think that if the president and the first lady can vote by mail, uh, it's a constitutional right for everyone to vote. With coronavirus being as, as dangerous as it potentially is, um, I think we should encourage more people to vote. And if they vote through, you know, by mail, and we can get more participation, at the end of the day, that's what democracy is all about. Um, so I, I, I don't I would love to see your reports on, on Orange County and show me some statistics there where people's votes have been flipped. I think it has more to do with the demographic change, really, than anything. Yeah, I think that um, one of the reasons Trump and like the other Republicans don't want to do voting by mail is because it's going to create a higher turnout. And historically, when there's a higher turnout, Democrats tend to win. Another reason I don't think they want to do vote by mail is because since 2014, um, I forgot what the bill was called, like Voting Provisions Act. I'm, I don't know what it was called, but the point is um, what the Republicans did is they started uh, shutting down polling places in Southern states where there were minor where there's minority communities. Mm -hmm. So that, that's voter suppression and they know that minorities tend to vote Democrat. So I think that's the real reason why, um, why they don't wanna do vote by mail because it's gonna create a higher turnout. Everyone's gonna get to vote. 
and most likely Trump will lose if the majority of people vote. So I think that's why people don't want to do. Um, well, he said it himself. Trump actually said it himself. He said, if we allow people to vote, then Republicans will never win another seat again. But that kind of goes against, um, they, they actually, there are stats that show that Republicans actually vote just as much as, as Democrats when they're voting by mail, because you tend to see uh, the suburban person who doesn't want to go to the voting poll, um, and they tend to be elderly, and that's right in, in Trump's demographic for the most part. So the stats really don't bear out, but I, I do know that if more people vote, he obviously has something to worry about, and he's expressed it, and he's actually even said it. So um, I definitely agree with you on that. But I, as far as the stats, I haven't seen the stats that actually back that up. Yeah, it's, I, I read that also, that Republicans actually fare better when there are mail-in votes. So that's not a reason why I don't want it. It's specifically for the harvesting issue that I think is unfair. Harvesting is the same as, like you said, shutting down polling places. I don't like that either. I think everybody should have the opportunity to vote. I just don't, you know, I, I just don't want there any more opportunities for fraud. And I just read an article today about um, somebody who's in charge of counting the votes actually went in a voting booth and just voted as much as he could and he swayed elections and he got paid and they didn't say who the politicians were, but he said, I think it was at least eight different politicians paid him to change votes over the last four years. So what do you think about Wisconsin? Should they have voted? Without mail? In, John? Uh, I'm not sure what you're referring to, like in mail, by mail or by person? Well, yeah, no, in, in Wisconsin, the governor wanted, he, he initiated a, uh, you know, vote by mail. The Wisconsin uh, Supreme Court came and, and ruled against that. They made all the Wisconsin voters go and wait in lines up to five, six hours to get their vote in. The issue, the, yeah. and then the a issue lot of people who voting by mail. A lot of people who waited in that line tested, ended up testing positive for COVID afterwards. Yes. And a lot of people who didn't also tested positive for COVID. Oh, you have to compare the numbers. Oh, no. Like the population. No, no, you know, not, not for that. You don't have to compare the numbers. You have, because it's not about who doesn't get what's called, it's who you're putting in jeopardy. So if you're making people go to the line to vote and you're like, well, only 100 of you die, but 5,000 of you live, that's not an excuse. No, I'm saying compare them to the general population. Say 5% of the people in line got it. Did 5% of the general population get it? That's what you'd have to compare. We're talking about just say those people got it doesn't mean anything. No, we're talking about Wisconsin. I know, but I'm saying just to say the people in that line got COVID, it, some of them got COVID. Well, yeah, but some people who didn't get in that line also got COVID. You know what else so did 5% of the people get it in line and out of line? Or did 20% of the people in line get it? Then that would say something. That would say the line is dangerous. Well, I, without comparing both, you can't make it they had 180 polling places that you could physically go to prior. And during this election, they cut it down to five, mm. from 180 to five. And if, you do, if that doesn't, I was voting here myself and I was waiting in line for two hours and there was people leaving because they didn't want to wait in line any longer. You're, you're telling me five hours? I waited two hours and almost left. Five hours, six hours? I mean, that's, I saw some people had to wait 12 hours. So why is it better for the president why did the Supreme Court justices, the same Wisconsin Supreme Court who ruled against it, they voted um, absentee. Why is it good for them, but it's not good for the populace? The issue, that the, if you read the Supreme Court for the Wisconsin judgment, it wasn't about whether it was mail-in votes or polling votes. 
it was about the fact that they changed it in such a short period of time prior to the, the election. That was why they overturned it was because they didn't have it set up and they had to jump through hoops to try and vote. They didn't have a plan in place and all that kind of stuff. That was why the, the Supreme Court overturned that completely. Yeah, I don't know. I, I, I had read that in order for people to uh, vote by mail in Wisconsin, they had to have their um, absentee ballot turned in on the 7th, but then the, re re the judgment from the Supreme Court didn't come down until uh, after it was too late for them to, you know, so it was a catch-22 situation. Because they switched it to mail-in votes right before, it was like it was like two days before the election. That's why the Supreme Court overturned it. Well, there was no mail-in vote in Wisconsin. They, they denied the mail-in vote. They tried to, and they tried to change it at the last minute. That's why the Supreme Court overruled it. But even absentee ballots weren't sent out in time. Uh, they were sent out, I'm trying to figure out how, to, how it was worded. If it had to be, if, if the absentee ballots had to be in by the seventh, absentee ballots didn't arrive to people by till the ninth. So they were ass out of luck either way. With that then, but I'm telling you that the whole the whole case with the Supreme Court was about changing it the last minute, rather than it, if they would have changed it a month before to mail-in ballots, they would have no case. That's what I'm trying to tell. All right, guys. So just real quick, so the numbers that I see is that 23 people were linked. I got COVID linked to the voting process I see out of 450,000 voters. I've got 52. All right, so even so, even double that, 100 people out of 450,000. That's way below the general population infection rate. But is, is, is that, does that matter if someone is forced to go somewhere to get a disease rather than staying at home and voting? Should that matter? No, but I'm saying there's no proof that they got it from that. They could have gotten it from anything. And that they happen to be the 50 cases, I would say 100, got it somewhere, but the, the, the incidence rates of getting it outside of that is way higher, way higher. It's 16%. I don't know what that number is, but it's, a, it's in the thousands. So the people who went to the line theoretically are much safer than those who didn't. That doesn't make any sense. I get it, but that's what the numbers are showing. Nah. Voting saves lives. <laughs> no, I would have to do, look at those numbers. I don't, I don't think that those equate. But one thing, I'll just really end it. I want to end it on this. Uh, the Brennan Center for Justice, uh, they, do, they did an uh, investigation into mail fraud. They found it incredibly rare. The five states who actually participate in mail balloting now has never had any reports or any scandals. And again, I'll, I'll end it that the only state that it has was North Carolina by a Republican. Well, we've had a, a lengthy, long discussion. We didn't get to all the topics that I wanted to, uh, to get to, but that sometimes happens when uh, we get into some uh, interesting conversations. Um, but yeah, this was the, the first episode of uh, Lunchroom Politics. I think we'll try to do it again. If anybody wants to be on the panel that is watching this, just inbox, inbox us at our, uh, at our uh, Facebook page. We'll send someone to do a quick interview with you and we'll try to get different people on the panel as much as we can. All right, you guys, thank you guys for your time. Sorry it took so long to get it started with the technical difficulties. Um, all your uh, opinions are valued. And uh, yeah, we'll try to do it again sometime. Yeah, that was good, nice, respectable debate, right, thank you. Thank you. Yeah, you know what? This is more respectable than I thought it would be. You know why? Because it's hard to get conservatives on here. Every conservative <laughs> I ask to be on here, they're like, oh, no, no, no. 
Oh, no, no, no. But these are the same conservatives that are spouting as much as they can on my timeline, but they didn't want to show their faces actually on video. And then everybody wants to be an independent uh, and everything. So I'm like, okay, we need to find. Uh, actually, uh, I want to say one thing before we head out, because uh, I was, since we didn't talk about COVID, just one thing that everybody should know. Um, take vitamin D supplements. Uh, there, it's not proven for sure, but some studies show that if you take like five thousand IUIs of vitamin D, um, you are you get the studies show that uh, people that have vitamin D, more vitamin D have a less severe cases of COVID nineteen. So, just boost. I don't hear anybody talking about this, so I wanted to let you guys know. Take your vitamin C. Take your I vitamin did. D. I got it. That's because we're all in the midst of taking hydrochloroquine because we're <laughs> taking it. And that's why. So we don't need vitamin D because the president says take all right, all right. And I have to say this before we go. That man is lying. <laughs> you know damn well that man ain't taking no hydrochloric. He can barely pronounce it. I can barely pronounce it. There ain't no way in hell I believe for a second that Trump is taking hydrochloric. Just, just the way he said it. It's like, you know, I'm hearing good things about it. And uh, oh, yeah. I mean, I'm taking it. I'm like, okay. Who's buying? Well, we know who's buying it, but I'm like, there's no way in hell that man is taking that medicine. 